Harkless with eight on the clock, straight away, comes down the left side, spins, throws the ball to Gilbert, right side for a three, it's good! Keyshawn knocks it down, and the Rebels have a three-point lead, 47-44. Iwako spins on the block, spins again, puts up with the right hand, and in! Vicky Iwako with a terrific play in the post. And Lon Kruger erupts. Harkless is going to drive. At the elbow, fall away 16-footer. No good, oh, went in. Off the rim, high in the air, and then it dropped, and the Rebel lead is 7, 54-47. UNLV beat Dayton last night. A big second-half comeback as they dominated defensively against Dayton. Um, I, I have a request, and we are three games into the season. I am fully aware I'm getting ahead of myself. Can I please have an NCAA tournament bubble team to talk about? Oh, please. I don't and even I don't we need even a bubble it. starting right when Lenardi puts out his first bracketology. Well, he already he already has one out. He they're puts not, Well, he, they're not in that one. No, they're not in the the preseason ones. But can I I please just want to talk about UNLV and the NCAA tournament bubble. Right? I I don't even need them to get in, right? They can they can lose games and miss it. That's that's fine. I just I just want to be at like Valentine's Day and be like, hey, UNLV's on the bubble. Hey, honey, Len- we can't go out. I have to watch UNLV. Lenardi <laughs> has them as like the fifth team out. Like I because here's the thing. For me personally, as a sports talk radio host. I don't know that there is a better topic that I that I could talk about than UNLV basketball on the NCAA tournament bubble. Do you know how badly I want to be in here on, in February talking to you about their net ranking, talking to you about their Ken Palm ranking, about quad one wins? Do you know how badly I want to be telling you how they compare to the 10th place Big Ten team that's 13 and 12 at the well, moment? Well, that's no different than any day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do that with some meaning, right? I've never, I've lived here since the 2014-15 season. Oh, right after they did it. And there has not right been a single it. season in which I, in February, could walk in here and say, this is what they need to do to make the NCAA tournament as an at-large team. Every single year when we get to Valentine's Day, it's, well, they're going to have to win the Mountain West tournament, yeah. right? They got to win three games in three days yeah. in March, and that's all, that's all that matters. Never have I been able to come in here in February and be like, all right, if they finish five and two, I think they've got a shot to make the NCAA tournament. That is, I want to be comparing them to like Northwestern and like, Rutgers. oh, look at this. That, that Big Ten team sucks, right? Or UNLV is going to miss out because this Big Ten team gets to play five straight top 15 teams and they're probably going to win one and that's going to be enough to put them in. I will be so good at that. Please just give me that opportunity. Last four in on the bubble right now, Florida State, St. John's, Wyoming, and Rutgers. Oh. Update it, Lenardi. Let's to, go. That's you want to talk about. Yeah, update Where's it, Where's the 3-0 and running get, Rebels? Because I guarantee Dayton's in here. They gotta be. They're in there somewhere. Yeah, probably like a 6-7 seed, something like they that. They've got two Mountain West teams in. They've got San Diego State as a 5, and they've got Wyoming in a play-in game against... Rutgers. Oh, see? That'll be great. UNLV, Rutgers, who's better? Last team in. UNLV or Rutgers? It'll be so fun. Yeah, six seed. Look at that. UNLV beat a six seed last night. Come on. Look at that. I just I just want to do that. 
just, even if they miss the NCAA tournament, I just want to have meaningful NCAA tournament talk on this show about UNLV basketball. All right. So one thing that I thought was interesting, uh, Kevin Kruger, like two or three days ago, talking about his rotation, he gave the quote about we come at you in waves uh, because they've been playing, I think, 11 guys in the first two games of the season. Last night, Kevin Kruger cut his rotation down to seven guys. Uh, Keyshawn Hall, the freshman, did not play at all. And then second half, when UNLV goes on their big run, their big comeback, Jordan McCabe and Jackie Johnson got cut out of the rotation in the second half. Jackie Johnson did play the last like 20 seconds when Harkless and Keyshawn Gilbert fouled out. But prior to that, McCabe and Johnson did not play. So your seven guys were Keyshawn Gilbert, EJ Harkless, and then Eli Parquet, Luis Rodriguez, uh, David Mwaka, Victor Iwako, and Justin Webster. That was it. The five starters and then one center to come off the bench and one guard to come off the bench. We're three games in, and I feel like we already know who the seven guys are that Kevin Kruger wants to play. And sure, when they play, what do they play? High point on Friday? We'll see Jordan McCabe again. Right. But But when they play someone legit, then these will probably be the guys. And I don't think that's such a bad thing. I don't either. Get them ready. Yeah. I think the non-conference schedule is sort of weak enough that like, so like when they play Southern Illinois, Southern Illinois is actually higher than them in Ken Palm, but they play Southern Illinois in that first game in the San San Juan Juan Capistrano sandwich That's 2 a.m. in the morning, yes. Yes. Um, Like, Southern Illinois is higher than them in Ken Palm or whatever, but like Jordan McCabe can play in that game. I'd assume Jordan McCabe can play in that game. You don't want to early in the season have, you know, your four or five best players all playing 38 minutes every single game, right? right? You want there want You want to have some rest, some reservation. So like the non-conference schedule is sort of weak enough that they can get away or should be able to get away with playing Jordan McCabe and Jackie Johnson and Keyshawn Hall a few minutes so that they can save some minutes for these guys. But you play a close game against Southern Illinois or Minnesota or San Francisco or Washington state, you get into the second half of these and it's close, which they probably will be probably need to cut back on the rotation. And then once you get into mountain West play, you have your rotation. You probably don't need to play Jordan McCabe or Jackie Johnson or Keyshawn hall or anything like that. Uh, Maybe at all in those. So let me ask you this, by the way, what'd you think of Jackie Johnson in the first half? Uh, he likes to shoot. <laughs> Jackie has never met a shot he doesn't like. He, uh, first time I saw Jackie Johnson. He did not play the second half. He, he appears took the third most to, shots on the team. He appears to be a kid who could be really hot, streaky, really good, and then shoot himself out of a, a spot on the floor. Yes. Uh, so far this year, he has done the, hey, I'm going to shoot myself off the floor and be kind of unplayable. He is... Uh, Two for 14 from three-point range this season. It's not very good. It's Um, not very good. He's fascinating to me because we talked about at the beginning of the show, right? Defensively, this team is awesome. Offensively, even in a win last night, they still weren't very efficient. It was a bad offensive game. They were below .9 points per possession. Jackie Johnson is the guy that can create shots and as the guy that is looking for his shot and I'd be willing to bet there are going to be a few games against good teams where Kevin Kruger feels compelled and might even do it to put Jackie Johnson on the floor in big moments to put him out there and say and hope 
and say, we cannot score. We cannot create a shot. Right. I know it's going to be huck it, chuck it from 10 feet behind the three-point line or drive in and try to throw it up over a seven-footer, but that's better than what we've been doing right. for the last 10 minutes. So get in there. I think we're going to run into that. So I'm very curious to see what happens to him because he was actually fairly efficient at Duquesne last year, right? He came off the bench, played, uh, I think, 20 minutes a game or something like that, but he actually had pretty good efficiency numbers at Duquesne last year. So I suspect there's going to be some good games in there from Jackie Johnson. It's just, can you trust him? And the other key there is how big of a hit does your defense take when he's on the floor? Right. And that's the one part you don't want taking a hit. Right. Because that's the one part that's going to win you most of your games. Right. They're going to win games because guys are great defensively. Right. Right. That, that's going to be the case. Like, here's the thing. Eli Parquet, uh, he had one point last night, uh, was 0 for 2 from the floor, was 1 for 5 from the free throw line. Yeah. And but he I, can guard people. I think it's fair to say he can't come off the floor right. for very long. He can long. guard people. Right. Like, which is insane. You have a guy who made one of five, he's a guard, made one of five free throws and scored one point in the entire game. And it's and it's like, yeah, that guy should probably play 35 right. minutes, which he did he can guard. last night because he's that good defensively. And that's, that's how they win games this year is they're just going to play the ugliest games possible. And yeah, Parquet might be awful on the offensive end, but hey. The guy can defend, right? And that's what they're going to need. That's how they're going to win games. Hell, he led the team in minutes last night with thirty-five. That's impressive. By the way, to lead the team in minutes and only have one point—that's impressive. Yes, that is very. That tells impressive. you how good he is defensively. Uh, my favorite stat line, though, I think was Victor Iwako. Uh, here's Victor Iwako's stat line: twelve minutes, two points, one for one shooting, one steal, four fouls. Victor Iwako did not get a rebound, an assist, a block, didn't commit a turnover, took one shot, and committed four fouls. That's phenomenal. That's just an incredible stat line. We are, uh, Jared, you know about the Tony Snell, right? Yes, the the perfect 0-0-0-0-0-28. So the Tony Snell is uh, however many minutes you play, and it's got to be like more than two, but like you play... 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 20 minutes, and you don't record a single statistic. Because Tony Snell did it in an NBA game when he had played like 24 minutes and didn't record a single statistic. He did nothing. I think we're going to get that out of Victory Waco with one exception. He's going to commit fouls. But I think we're going to get a Victory Waco game like 13 minutes, not a single stat, four and fouls. Three fouls. Oh, and it's going to be 40 minutes. Play. Yeah. <laughs> It's going to be great. No, he, there's no way I he know. can play 40 minutes. If he plays 40 <laughs> minutes in a game without fouling out, that'll be the most impressive. They yeah. should be in the NCAA tournament if that happens based on that alone because that'd be impressive. The degenerate just walked in. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you bet it? Ed oh, handed out yeah. San Diego State uh, losing. The, well, Stanford covering against San Diego State. But I, t- I did tell him to do money line. And Oh, you get, oh, you told yeah. him money line. That oh, you that. didn't. You took the points? No, I didn't take. Can you get on a mic? Yeah. You're just talking in the background. <laughs> like, did you what bet? did you bet? Stanford, did you bet the San game? Diego did State. you bet the game? No, I did not take that one. Okay. Uh, oh, your, he was talking your about Your initial Dayton. reaction, I thought you were uh, talking about the UNLV game. He bet Dayton. Oh, you bet Dayton. Yeah. I didn't say anything about that game. No. Yeah. 
Ed Ed thought he lost you money because Ed told you yesterday to bet Stanford. No. Ed was convinced San Diego State was losing to Stanford. They led from wire to wire. <laughs> um, it goes like that sometimes. I've got a new hot take for you. What's that? Bet Baylor over TCU this weekend. Uh-oh. That First Baylor? you tell me to take Baylor. Uh, oh, no, you no. took me to take Stanford. Yeah. yeah I took it, okay. Now I'm telling you to take Baylor over TCU football. It's at Baylor. And uh, I think this is when they go down. I have an important question for you. Have you seen the Yasiel Puig story? Yes. Uh, first of all, 903 <laughs> months. Thank you. We That's said what you I could keep up with three months. We said you could keep up with that. We were trying to make it where you came. Like, you were like, all right, Danny, you've got 90 days. I mean, <laughs> but, he, but here's the key July, August, September were the three months. He got uh, during he, baseball season. But yeah, but they said he didn't they bet said on baseball. He didn't bet on baseball. Well, see, it's easy depending on the books, like with tennis, it's very easy to get that many because so, you can bet individual sets, so you, you think, can bet in, individual games, you can even bet like the very Yasiel next Puig hit. is sitting around as betting our, individual sets on tennis as our expert degenerate. You're telling us that whatever these warm-up tournaments are for the majors, Yasiel Puig is betting on like the 67th ranked players oh, yeah. first set to win people the first set all the time. People do it all the time. Do do you do it? I used to work for DraftKings as a customer service agent, and we would see all the stuff that were bet on. And tennis, it is unbelievable. It's just like baseball too. With baseball, but what are, what are the books, limits? Certain books in baseball, you can bet pitch by pitch. Will the next pitch be a hit? That's will it be a ball? Yeah, will it that's degenerates. That but, but okay, dinner. but here's the other thing. He wasn't doing it through DraftKings or whatever. Right. He, he was doing it through his offshore. friend Todd. No, it was just a guy that was a minor leaguer at some point. It was an illegal uh-huh. book. Yeah. Yeah, I heard I, about that. Yeah, I'm so it's so it's too much. Nine hundred. And by the way, like what are the limits normally? This was illegal, so they could make the limits whatever they want. But like if you're betting on a set of tennis. Uh it it varies book by book right, and but even person by person. But like you're not betting are they taking a thousand dollars on just a, a random set? In probably not. Probably right. the max is like five hundred. Okay. Is Yasiel Puig? I, he was down two hundred eighty-nine thousand dollars. I assume he won some of these bets. I mean, it's, I assume he didn't go zero for eight hundred and ninety-nine. It's entirely he was chasing <laughs> for three months. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, though, nine hundred bets. It sounds like a lot. But over the course, yes, of, it sounds like a, yeah, a lot. No, what no, are you yeah, talking you're not, about? You're not winning but, that argument. But over the course of over the course of ninety days, it comes out to ten bets a day. If we you're call betting, you degenerate, Danny. Oh, trust how me. many bets have you made much, in the last three months? Yeah, how much? How much do you make a day? Uh, have well, you made nine hundred bets in the last three months? No, no. Oh, he no, can't no, even no, answer no, that. No, one you like you're days. pausing on that question. Hundred percent, no. Hundred percent. Okay, so what do you think the average is a day you bet? How many? Uh, I mean, during the week, maybe two or three, possibly four, depending on like NHL and all that. But on football days, it could be like on this past Sunday, I think I put in 20 bets. Wow. 20 bets in a day. Danny Danny and Yasiel Puig. Are you betting with Yasiel Puig's guy over here? No, but I should hit him up. You should. what not to bet on. He needs a he needs a new client now that Yasiel Puig's going to prison or something like that. All right, coming up next, it's Bischoff's briefs.
Bischoff's Briefs. I never realized baseball had so much butt touching. Bischoff's Briefs. That's how they communicate. Bischoff's Briefs. It's like Braille, but with butts. Bischoff's Briefs. Read my butt! Yesterday, we all gave our predictions for how many wins the Raiders end the season with. Ed was the most optimistic with six. Uh, me and Lindsay both put five. Danny had them at four. Jared had them losing the rest of their games and staying at two. So today I wanted to take a look at like how many wins do they need to avoid to you know get the number one pick, get a top five pick, that type of thing. Because here's the thing. The Colts, ah, Jeff Saturday wins his first game. All feel good about themselves. I think the Colts are going to regret winning that game the same way the Raiders are going to be thankful that they lost that game because of draft position, right? The Colts winning that game, they right now would be picking 16th in the NFL draft. Had they lost, they'd be all the way up at ninth. On the flip side, the Raiders, they stuck and are at two if the season ended today. Had the Raiders beaten the Colts, they'd all the way, be all the way back at seven. So when you look at sort of the rest of the season, and what the Raiders need to do to sort of stay in good or the best possible draft position. You look at their last eight games, four are against teams that are not currently in the playoffs. One of those is the 49ers, uh, who I expect to pass Seattle. Actually, they might have jumped Mm. into a playoff spot, but the 49ers, I expect to pass Seattle, so that's not exactly going to be a team you're battling with for picks. The Patriots are right there. I don't know if the Patriots make the playoffs, but the Patriots are going to be... Uh, one of the best teams to not make the playoffs, so they're not going to be picking very high. That leaves two massive games on the schedule, the Rams and the Steelers. Right now, Raiders are 2-7. and seven. Rams and Steelers are both 3-6. and six. Now, the Rams don't actually own their own pick. The Lions do, so this is about the Lions picking ahead of the Raiders. But those two games are probably going to be worth multiple spots in the draft, right? Because if you lose to the Rams and lose to the Steelers, you're probably going to finish below them in the standings and therefore pick ahead of them in the NFL draft. But if you beat them, there's a decent chance you end up picking behind them in the draft and simply by winning a couple of games, you probably fall behind some other teams in the draft. So those two games might end up being the biggest games on the schedule going forward. And by the way, we might look back and say that win over the uh, Texans terrible win shouldn't have done that that might be the difference in the first and second pick if the Raiders do in fact uh really blow it out the end of this season uh but right now using football outsiders they project the Raiders to win 5.2 games that's their season-long projection right now 5.2 there are only two teams that are worse the Houston Texans and the Carolina Panthers Texans are projected to get to 4.2. Carolina is projected to get to 5.1. So if we're talking about the top pick, the rest of the way, the Raiders probably need to finish 4-13 and 13 to have a chance. Even then, they still might not get there because the Texans only have one win and 3-13-1 seems very doable for the Houston Texans. So 4-13 and 13 might still not be good enough or bad enough to get the number one overall pick. To stay in the top three, they probably need to get to five and no more. If they get to six wins, they're probably outside of the top three. If they do finish with six, 
They'll be around the top five. It'll probably come down to a tiebreaker, which the tiebreaker, by the way, is strength of schedule. You want to have an easy strength of schedule in this regard. You get into the, a higher pick if you have an easy strength of schedule. So here are the teams projected to have seven wins or less, according to Football Outsiders. Detroit, Chicago, New Orleans, Carolina, Arizona, the LA Rams, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Jacksonville, Houston, Denver, and Vegas. Those are the teams the Raiders want to win every single week. You want the Denver Broncos to win. You want the Texans, the Jags, Chicago. Those are the teams you want to win every week. Because the more those teams win, the easier it is for the Raiders to pick higher in the NFL draft. And that should be the main priority the rest of the season is how high of a pick can you get in the NFL draft. I mean, I agree with you. I don't I don't I think they're gonna win too many though. I really do. I think they're gonna get to six, and if they get to six, I think they're gonna be outside the top and if they're outside the top five. If those top three quarterbacks are the top three quarterbacks, and, we, and well, Houston would pick a quarterback. Carolina would pick a quarterback, right? Yep. They're both picking quarterbacks. And then you got to get to three. Yeah. So I don't, I just, man, I can't see them staying at two, three, or even four. Yeah. I just can't. It's going to be pretty, because here's the thing. It's going to be really hard to be that bad. The Raiders have lost seven games. Six of them have been by a single possession. Right. If they're they're clearly not just like terrible, awful NFL team. They're probably poorly coached and they don't do a lot of things well enough to win games. But they're clearly it's not like they're getting outclassed every time they line right. up and play a game. Which means a few of those are gonna turn. They're probably gonna win a few games and probably a few too many. I think the good news for the Raiders in terms of where they're gonna pick, there don't appear to be a lot of awful teams. Right, like the Houston Texans appear to be very bad, and Carolina's probably in that conversation. But after that, you know, New Orleans isn't good, but New Orleans isn't just awful. The Jags would pick five right now; they're not just dreadful. Chicago would be picking six right now; they're not just terrible. Justin Fields actually looks competent now. Denver's got a terrific defense, and they'd be picking. Well, they their tri- their pick goes to Seattle, but they're number seven at the moment in the draft order, right? Their defense is good enough that they're not going to, they're three and six right now. They're not going three and 13 or three and 14. They're going to win some. So it's like, you look at this, I mean, eight is LA and nine is Cleveland. Neither of them have their picks either. None of these teams are truly awful. So I think a lot of these teams that are kind of in the top 10 right now are going to win games the rest of the year. Like it's going to, I think Houston's going to be bad. Houston. Carolina might end up being really bad. And then after that, sort of three through 10, they might all have the same record. We might get it three through 10. They might all be five and 12 or something. And then it comes down. Then it comes to down to all the tiebreakers. So I, I think the good news for the Raiders is there's not a bunch of horrible teams. Yeah. There, there's enough teams that are sort of good enough that they're going to win games too. There's not going to be many teams that just lose out from this point forward. I don't even think the Texans are going to lose out from this point forward. So even if they win a couple, right, they still should be in a decent spot for top five. And if they get on the right side of the tiebreaker, which let me see right now. Oh, they're in pretty good shape tiebreaker wise because the tiebreaker is the worst strength of schedule gets the higher pick. Mm -hmm. Their strength of schedule right now is uh, 468. The Texans, for example, is 519. Let's see. New Orleans, Jacksonville, Chicago, Denver, L.A., every, everybody's higher except, like, Atlanta. And, with tougher schedules? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, the Raiders have, like, one of the easiest. So they've won two games with one of the easiest schedules. Oh, right. Yes, right. 
It's it's not good. There's not very many ways that you can spin that, this as a good that thing. That makes me think that the the closeness of those games may be overstated. It, yes, 100%. <laughs> yes. All right, coming up next, John Von Tobel joins the show. Nance, one-on-one with Aldama, get it to CJ, pop the left wing three. Splash, splash for CJ McCollum, his seventh made three of the night. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Joining us now, John Von Tobel. You can hear him over on VSIN. Also has done some sideline reporting for UNLV basketball games early in this season. Uh, so let me actually start there. They beat Dayton last night. Uh, their offense still isn't very good. Can they ride a top 25 maybe defense to the NCAA tournament? I I feel like I want to say yes, right? Like so one of the things that has been invoked when like for the start for UNLV is the San Diego State, which has been like, hey, you know, San Diego State hasn't had some great offenses, but they rode great defenses to NCAA tournament berths regularly. The problem is, and I think the big difference would be, and maybe you disagree with this, but they're not as good a rebounding team as those San Diego State teams were, right? Like they would be really disjointed on offense, the Aztecs, but they would get second chance points, they would get offensive rebounds. Like that would that would help them kind of offset some of their inefficiencies in the half court. We've really seen that too much from UNLV yet, and they are look they're really good defensively, and they can switch a bunch. They're a little undersized though. I think that's led to some of the rebounding issues. So I, I would kind of say yes, but I, I would think that still you got to get better at rebounding if you're going to go down that path because that has made the difference for teams like San Diego State who ride their defenses and poor offense. Small sample size, but can they get better offensively, or is this who they are probably? No, I think they can. Like, I think they're a little bit of a better shooting team than I thought they were going to be, although they didn't really shoot it that well overall percentage-wise yesterday. was it, like 28% or something like that? And, like, for the season through three games, it hasn't been there. But, like, I would say you're probably feeling pretty good about, like, the development of Keyshawn Gilbert's offensive game, right? Like, he's looked a lot better. Harkless looks like he could be a guy who can score in isolation if they need him to. Uh, if Luis Rodriguez is, because he got pretty hyped up on his first May 3 last night, if he's going to start to maybe pour in a couple of three-point shots, I feel like they can get better at now. Like how much better is absolutely like, obviously the question, right? Like I don't know if they're going to be an overtly efficient offense, but I think they can get better. And I do think that look, the, the positive is that this staff, uh, even though it's uh, early together, has shown that they can get improvement out of guys and that they can get a little bit better offensively game to game, and especially against a quality offensive opponent. So yeah, I think there's like a, a higher ceiling for this team. Absolutely. I think the curious part there on the offense is like the comparison to San Diego state and their ability to get some offensive rebounds. I don't know where UNLV steals points offensively because they're not going to be right. good in the half court. Like where do they find them? Maybe it's forcing live ball turnovers for more transition points. Cause it, it feels like they forced a hundred turnovers, but Last night, did they have more than two like actual transition opportunities? Like maybe that's where they steal it, but it's hard to find because they're not going to shoot well. They don't really get to the rim a whole lot. It's just hard to find where they steal points offensively. No, and I think I would agree with that. And you're right. Like it's got to be through transition because they're not going to get those second chance points. I mean, maybe perhaps there's like a world where Isaiah Cottrell comes back and they play some like dual big lineups with him and. Um, and um, Mawoka, right, and you can get a little bit bigger and you can attack the glass in that way. I think that would be kind of an interesting thing. Now, the, the lane gets clogged up a little bit there, so I don't know how effective that would be to your half-court offense in terms of spacing for guys like driving, like Gilbert has shown what like he likes to do. But and I think maybe there's something there, but I would agree with you. Like, th- there is a way you have to steal those points. San Diego State did it with offensive rebounding, and they still do it. I think you're going to have to do it through transition opportunities. And you've done it through the first two games. Like you said, there weren't really that many last night. 
Uh, and there were a couple of possessions where I was surprised where they forced turnovers, and then Keyshawn Gilbert would, like, slow the offense down, and that was kind of near the end of the game, so maybe they were trying to bleed out the clock. But I think that's the way you're going because they, they're still, like I said, like some of their best defenders, they're still what, like, I think Rodriguez is, what, 6'6", six, six officially listed at. Like, they, it's not like they have a bunch of 6'8", six, 6'9", six, guys out there that are uber-athletic. They're still a little bit smaller in terms of size, and it's going to be a challenge throughout the season. All right. Um, help me out with Shea Gilgis-Alexander because – uh, every time I'm on Twitter, I see Shea Gilgis Alexander highlights, and he looks incredible. But he's on the Thunder, and they're not going to be any good. Like, how good is Shea Gilgis Alexander? Uh, I think he's one of the. I'm going to confirm this because I always love it. Yeah, he's he's one of the best young players like under 25 in that league, man. Like he's he's absolutely incredible. And you know, as as a Clippers fan, I will always point out that the Clippers tried to draft him, uh, but it was part of the trade to uh, get Paul George, so they have a great eye for talent. Um, but no, he's like, he's incredible. Like he's one of the best young players out there. And what I think is really interesting too, is there's a couple of things, right? One, uh, they are extremely reliant on him offensively. When he leaves the court, uh, their offense are rating drops from 114.8 to 103.4. I think it is like, it's absolutely atrocious how bad they are on offense without him. But also I mentioned the H two because it's, it doesn't really kind of jive with the young team that they have, right? Like there's a whole bunch of guys on this Thunder squad that are like, you know, 20, 19, 21. He's pretty long in the tooth for a team in terms of what they're doing. And you do wonder if he kind of sticks around as he enters his prime years for a team that is still kind of building up. Now, I will say, Tyler, like one of the things that has worked out for Oklahoma City, which has really stuck out this year, uh, they are really very well coached, and they're still on the fringes. I want to double-check because off, their defense has been good the last couple of games. Uh, they dropped out of the top ten in terms of defensive efficiency during this road trip, but they've been really good defensively. And I think that when you're talking about them in the grand scheme of things, I think they're going to be a fringe play-in team if the front office doesn't want to, again, try to tank and go after Wembanyama. That's always the question. But Gildas Alexander is one of the best young players under 25. There's rumors that he might be available for trade. And if he is, they are going to get a haul for him because he's incredible. Are the Blazers any good? Man, I don't know. Like, I think So I think they're good in the sense that, like, I, I didn't know what to do with them at the beginning of the season, right? Like, I thought that there was a wide spectrum of outcomes for the Portland Trailblazers season. If you were to tell me that they were making the playoffs, like, fringe six seed and, you know, make it in from a play-in tournament standpoint, I would say, okay, that's cool. And if you were to tell me that the season ends with them trying to get Victor Wembanyama or Scoot Henderson, I would say, okay, cool. Like, both of those things, I think, still kind of jive with what this team could potentially be by the time the year ends. So I think, Ed, like, are they going to be, like, what are they now, like 10 wins or something like that at yeah. this point of the season? Uh, like, I don't know if they're going to be a top-four seed in the West. I would still push back against that. But are they like a playoff team that could potentially grab a sixth seed in a West that has some teams like the uh, Clippers and the Warriors kind of scuffling around? I would say that is still a very realistic possibility. But what bothers you is their offense has not really been that great. They're 16th in non-garbage time offensive efficiency. It really drops off when uh, Damian Lillard's not out there. I think that's what's ultimately going to hold them back. But I think they're solidly a top-ten team, thus a play-in team. Uh, is it Blazers? Is it Jazz? Is it somebody else who's the most surprisingly good team so far? Yeah, I think so. It's probably like, – so the Jazz are starting to slip a little bit. So they, they're 10-6 and six now. And I think just given preseason expectations, they probably still take the cake, right? Because with this win total, I think before the season started, dropped to 23-and-a-half. They've already got 10 so, like, they look like they're on their way towards surpassing that win total already. Uh, their adjusted win total is, I think, now like 27, 27 and a half, somewhere in that range. But, like, like I think the Jazz are up there, Tyler, and still are just because of the expectation. But, like I said, like, their defense now, after last night, I think it was four or five New York Knickerbockers who scored in double digits. Uh, they're now 20th in uh, defensive efficiency and non-garbage time. 
Uh, that's much farther down than where they were at the beginning of the season. And the one thing that they have been very reliant on is offensive rebounding. Their offensive rebounding rate is third best in the league right now, and that's starting to slip because they were leading the league. And, of course, it's hard to lead the league in any category consistently. But I do wonder if, one, once they start to run into teams that can rebound with them, that's going to be a little bit of a problem. You saw that last night against New York. And the other part is, again, when you talk about these teams at the bottom, at what point does the front office go, all right, we're trading some of you guys. Malik Beasley, you're out of here. Like, we got to get something for Mike Conley. And they start to strip this thing down because they want to lose games and do what they expected to do. So I think they're probably on their way down. But, yes, they are a very good surprise. They're a very quality team. And they've been actually a lot of fun to watch, too. Who has made the mistake of not tanking for that kid at number one? Uh, well, I think so. They're not tanking on purpose, but it does look like they're still trying to win games. Lamelo Ball just came back uh, the other day. I think Charlotte should be doing it, Ed. Like, Charlotte has really nothing going on for it outside of LaMelo Ball. Uh, the, you know, the unfortunate incident where Miles Bridges ended up being a piece of garbage uh, sets them back a little bit in terms of their franchise. Uh, and then when you look at just what else is there besides LaMelo Ball, there's really nothing. And this is a team now that right now we're talking about 4-11 and uh, after their win over Orlando the other night. Like, I think this team is primed to kind of start tanking and go and get – like, if you have a core, I don't know how good they'll be defensively, but if your core is LaBella Ball and Victor Wembanyama, if that's like the change, or even a Scoot Henderson, like, that's a really good core to have to build up with here. So, I think it's Charlotte, and I think they're going to end up doing it by accident as opposed to on purpose. But I definitely think it's Charlotte who should be pushing to lose as many games as possible because they're just going to be stuck in purgatory fighting for a 10th seed and getting blown out in a play-in game like they have each of the last two years. I do not remember who reported it, but does Miles Turner to the Clippers make any sense? Yeah, it does. Like, so, like they obviously, they need a backup big. Uh, Evita Zubac is you know, a quality big guy, and he's a good lob threat, but he's not great defensively. You saw him in every time the Mavericks play. Uh, he gets picked on by Luka Doncic. It's just get him switched on to Doncic and, and isolate against him and, and attack him, and that's been a big reason why the Mavericks have matched up with them so well. And they don't really have a true backup big, so I think that would make a lot of sense. Uh, and he can stretch the floor a little bit, too, for a team that likes to shoot three, so it's not going to clog up the paint. It's not like the Clippers are a team that gets to the rim a lot anyway. So I would say, yeah, like, depending on what the price is, it does make a lot of sense for the Clippers, especially if like it's not that he is a one-to-one replacement for Kawhi Leonard, but you're going to need a couple more uh, like bodies if Kawhi Leonard's not going to be fully healthy, and that's kind of the worry here for the Clippers right now. All right, can you give me a number on games you think Kawhi Leonard plays the rest of the season? Uh, let me see. So how many games are we in right now for the Clippers? Like, so what are we like fifteen games in? Uh, I'm terrible at math. I'll say like a total of let's go with like fifty. Oh, how about that's that? a lot. Wow. All right. I, I, I would think now, and this is just uh, that seems very generous, you know, right? Given how deep we are to the season and how many games that would be going forward. But I, I would feel like this time off is helping him get right um, and that they're taking care of this in the right way. But it is kind of worrisome, right? Like that's a little bit of a problem that this knee continues to bother him, even though it's surgically repaired. He's expressed frustration like through the media uh, that he wants to get out there and play. So we'll see if that means that he may be pushed through some back-to-backs a little bit more often. But I, I would still have faith that this is going to be a good season for Kawhi Leonard. 50 might be a little rich. It might be positive thinking, but I'll stick with it. All right, before we let you go, uh, yes or no, UNLV wins their last two games and go to a bowl game? Yes. All right. I, I, say, I say yes because they have to. I think it would be inexcusable <laughs> that they don't. He is John Von Tobel. Again, you can hear him over on VEASAN and occasionally sidelines of UNLV running Rebel games. JVT, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Johnny. Good to talk to you guys. Thank you. So, John Von Tobel on the NBA. And a little bit of UNLV because he's been, uh, what, Cofield does the 
he's the color analyst when right. the games are on the Mountain West Network and the, what is it, Silver Sports Network. Yeah. can't remember the name of it. The Fox 5 thing. I think that's. I think that game's going to be on the Hawaii game. I think we saw that uh, that release yesterday. The Hawaii yes. game is going to be locally here on that. No, on the, but on the Fox. But you and I like, get Directv, and we don't get that channel. No, I know we didn't get it because right. Cox, but it it's is going to be. It's on only local. if you have Cox, you'll be able to watch UNLV Hawaii right. on a TV channel. If right. you do not have Cox, you'll have to watch it through the stream. It's it's the Team One Sports app. Because it's not allowed to be on the Mountain West Network for some reason. Because it's Hawaii and things have to be complicated. All right. We got tickets to go see Pink to give away. Not until October of 2023 at Allegiant Stadium. But Pink's coming. And you can win them before other people can buy them. Right? These don't go on sale until next Monday. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. If you want to go see Pink. A pair of tickets to go see Pink next October here in Vegas. 702-364-1100. That's the phone number. The caller number 11 right now at 702-364-1100. Abilities as a player, and I think I've had so much intent and focus on being the best I could be as a player. Being a good coach, you have to have a lot of similar traits to what you had as a player, which is preparation, discipline, leadership, work ethic. And if you can put all those things together, yeah, you can obviously be a good coach. You're locked in the press box. And I've got... uh, I'm going to say this is the worst college basketball team to be a fan of so far this season. The Louisville Cardinals are 0-3, and here are their results. They lost to Bellarmine by one point. They lost to Wright State by one point. They lost to Appalachian State by one point. They are 0-3... Against three teams, they should have probably Those blown out. Were three by games, probably. Yeah, and all three losses have been by a single point. And to make it worse, last night they actually made a layup After at the buzzer. the buzzer that would have won the game, but the After ball the was buzzer. still in the guy's hands right. when the clock right. ran out. Three losses, all by a single point. That's hard to do in basketball. Hell, that's hard to do in like hockey and soccer where there's right. not much scoring. That's really hard to do in basketball, to be 0-3 and have your point differential be minus 3 on the season. Degenerate, have you bet them yet? No. Maybe you should start. I mean, maybe you should start betting the opponent. bet against them, and then they'll That's what I'm saying. Win. If they've lost to these, wait till they get to conference. You can bet them every night. Uh, also, Michigan State. So they beat Kentucky last night. Yep. Game went into double overtime. Um, first off, that game itself, Michigan State... Got a dunk to tie the game at the end of regulation and then got a dunk to tie the game at the end of the first overtime. And then when they got to the second overtime, Oscar Shibway, Kentucky's best player, fouled out, out. Right. And Michigan State got two alley-oops in double yeah. overtime while Shibway was on the bench. But Michigan State is going to play nine straight non-conference games against teams in the Ken Palm Top 100. Yeah. And most of these are actually in the top 50. Gonzaga, they already lost to Kentucky. They just beat... Villanova, and then they're going to play Alabama, and then they'll play two more games in the Phil Knight Invitational that are going to be against good teams. And then Notre Dame, Northwestern, and Penn State. Like, they did start the season with the, with an easy game, and they have a couple of easy games at the end before Big Ten play starts. But that's got to be one of the most ridiculous nine-game stretches yeah. that any team has put themselves through in the history of college basketball. 
It does not include Life Point insurance policy. Life Pacific. Life Come Pacific. On. Get yeah. it right over there. Life Point. Life Point. Life, Life Point Pacific. Insurance Company. Life Pacific. Come on. They're man. coming up on the schedule. Uh, I think it's after the San Juan Capistrano tournament. I believe you are right. It's High Point, and then they go to the Super Sandwich tournament. Um, High Point. Yes, it is. So they're they're sandwich here of the sandwich tournament. High Point, then the tournament, then Life Pacific. You're telling me Southern Illinois is higher in Ken Palm. Uh, 91. So for fun fact on Southern Illinois, um, they beat Oklahoma state who is a top 40 team. And then they lost to Southern Indiana. Who's not in the top 200. Okay. So I don't know what to do with that information. Right. Like that is very good. win, Southern Illinois NCAA stark, tournament, stark that's different. Like that's the UNLV win over Dayton type right. thing. Right. But then they lost to Southern Indiana, which would be like UNLV losing to high point on Friday. And you just look around and say, all right, what happened? So all that good you did against Dayton, you just threw it away. Heard last night there's a good high point team coming in here oh on Friday. From who? <laughs> who knows anything about high point? Probably Kevin Kruger would be the one who's like trying to hype up like, hey, I didn't schedule a bunch of cupcakes. <laughs> all right, all right. Here's 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 what I'm giving you on high point. Uh they are three and oh this year. Oh, see, they're good. See, they are good. Oh, wait till you hear this. Uh their schedule. They played and beat Wofford. Okay. A tough Wofford team. They played and beat a team named Pfeiffer. That's just just a gentleman that they met at the YMCA. (laughs) That is spelled P-F-E-I-F-F-E-R. Pfeiffer. What did they beat Pfeiffer by? Uh, 109 to 71. Okay. And their most recent game was against Lees McCray. Okay. Jared might be right. They might have played two teams that are just a guy. <laughs> That's Oh man. I am enjoying though that wait, what was it Duquesne and then Belmar Bell who did Kentucky play their first game against? Or not Kentucky Louisville? Bellarmine. They're division Bellarmine. 1. That's division not 1. Even, it's not the, even Belmont. And now Pfeiffer, these all sound like lo, low-level Marvel villains. Pfeiffer's close enough to Pfizer. <laughs> they played the vaccine. They might have played the vaccine. <laughs> they did not play the man, they played the vaccine. And not even the best vaccine. <laughs> we all know Moderna is the best. <laughs> They played the vaccine. <laughs> They're hoping to make it to the tournament to <laughs> play Moderna. Uh, so far this season, uh, Pfeiffer is 1-1, one one, if you don't count the high Pfeiffer point game. Pfeiffer beat somebody. Uh, they beat Carson Newman, and they lost to Virginia Wise. Okay, of all these teams, how many have you ever heard of? Because the only team None I've ever heard of Well, we've heard of Wofford. Yeah, we've heard of Wofford. Sounds like it sounds like an older lady who's on retirement and just hanging out. And then what was the one right before that? Virginia Wise? Right before Virginia. Oh, uh, I lost their schedule. Um, Carson Newman. That's right. just a guy like Car- from Carson Car- City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carson Newman is just person. hanging out. That that is an associate sales manager at a car dealership. <laughs> so you, that's you've uh, heard of Wofford. Yeah, well, that's the only one. They're Division One. That's the only of one. Of course, not Pfeiffer though, or Lee's McCray.